Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions. Each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. I would like to pause for just a quick moment here to give a special thank you to DBV Technologies for sponsoring today's podcast. Allergic living has been a staple in the homes of families managing food allergies and asthma for years. As a number one news source for the allergic community, Allergic Living continues to make an impact in providing professional journalism and reporting on topics that affect our lives. Today, we sit down with Gwen Smith, Editor and Content Chief at Allergic Living, to look behind the scenes and hear about plans for 2021. Welcome, Gwen. I am so happy for this interview. I've been waiting all week long for it. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Caroline. I can't think of anyone I'd rather speak to. That makes me very happy to hear. Before we dive into learning more about allergic living, I would like listeners to learn more about your fascinating background and how a professional journalist left the exciting world of breaking news to launch a publication about food allergies and asthma news, lifestyle, and resources. Well, you know, uh, we do journalism at Allergic Living, and you're right, I do come from that world. I started at a big newspaper when I was still in college, and I stayed there and was an editor and reporter and later the national editor, which meant overseeing political coverage. And eventually I was assistant managing editor, helping run the newsroom and leading investigative projects. I also did work in public broadcasting as a producer in radio, mostly with a dash of TV. Who knew we'd be doing podcasts and later on and both for allergic living and taking part in ones like this. I'd also later be the editor of a national women's magazine, which was wonderful for developing storytelling skills and how to package a magazine. But the whole experience kind of dovetailed nicely to when we decided to start Allergic Living because I came with these skills and there's just been such an enormous need for strong and reliable information in the areas of food allergy and asthma because these are not easy diseases to navigate and people are looking for information they know is reliable and well-reported. Thank you for that, Gwen. When my son's food allergy was diagnosed 20 years ago, I was told food allergy is actually a childhood condition. Since you developed your food allergies as an adult, can you share how you discovered your food allergies and then what type of direction and information was actually available at that time? Oh boy, the latter part, not a lot, let's say. Yeah, I developed my food allergies in the mid-1990s. I have multiple food allergies, so they, they come in a couple of sections. Mid-1990s, I was living in Tampa, and I had a severe anaphylactic reaction to fried shrimp. 
a dinner, I might add, that I'd prepared myself. So I had a history of pollen and drug allergies, but I had really had no idea that I might have a food allergy or that they could develop. So that was a very memorable evening. I phoned my girlfriend, said something wasn't right. I had red skin and hives and stomach cramps. And she got there in a flash and drove me to the hospital. Now I know call 911, don't do that. But back then, I really didn't know anything about food allergies. At the hospital, by the time we got there, I was wheezing very badly. And I didn't know it, but apparently my blood pressure had also plummeted. So they zipped me in quickly and they were looking after me. They gave me just an enormous amount of epinephrine. I remember my legs really shaking. I felt so much better. That's one thing I can always say that I learned about epinephrine. But the crazy part was I was young and fit, you know, in the best shape of my life. And here I was fighting for my life because I'd eaten shrimp, you know, I'd eaten a food. It was so ridiculous to me. That's not my only experience. I'll cast forward 2004. I again experienced anaphylaxis, this time to a satay sauce. Peanut was an obvious one in that, and I did test positive, went to the allergist, etc. I kept having more reactions. So we didn't know really what was going on, but I was having lots of minor reactions and so forth. So soy protein had been in this satay sauce. So my allergist thought really unlikely that it's adult onset soy allergy, but let's test you to a bunch of foods actually. So I skin tested to all these foods, miso, tempeh, and anything you can think of that had soy in it. It was up and down my arms. Well, my arms blew up you know, wheels a go-go. So they figured out that I really did have adult onset soy allergy. The personal experience of going through all this, because I really went for several months before they figured this out, trying to eat and being afraid of food and realizing how difficult this was. As much as food allergy can be challenging to manage, not knowing what your allergy is, is super challenging because you kind of fear what's on your plate. This led me to start looking at this as a topic because, again, I'm a journalist. So what do I do? I go write a couple of articles for magazines. But this is just after it turns out that Dr. Sampson from Mount Sinai had written his famous 2004 paper on the prevalence of food allergy, finding that it was much, much higher than previously known. And as we know, it's, it's higher yet again now. But at that time, he also said that peanut allergy in young kids had, had doubled over a decade. This was like really big stuff. And people were starting to say, what's going on? So this kind of led me toward with the, my partner and publisher who comes from the advertising world, this led me toward the idea of starting allergic living. Because if I'm having this problem, adapting and learning, I can only imagine how difficult it is when it's your child and you've got to do things like strap on epinephrine to the child's waist and send them off to school. I mean, this has got to be really challenging stuff to do. And sure enough, if I would go on to find out it was, and that there were many, many stories to tell from this community all about that. So to me, it's been just an incredibly important and compelling area to cover as a journalist.
as a parent of two children with food allergies, you are absolutely spot on. It's about the lifestyle and finding information and finding the community and having fear and frustration when you don't have knowledge. So there is definitely a place to have this kind of communication. But I actually have a question kind of circling back to you having experiences as an adult. So do you feel that maybe there's a challenge because you're an adult with food allergies that you might know too much? Could there be like increased anxiety based on your intellectual ability to fully understand what's happening versus say a younger child or even a teen who just feels invincible? No, it's a good question. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why, for a couple of reasons. I think we are just programmed to worry more about our kids than ourselves, maybe especially as women. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I think also, you don't know what you don't know. So when you start out, when I was starting out with food allergy, everything I learned about food allergy came from the experience of having them. I learned more. Like when I was starting out, remember, I said in the mid-1990s, I had the shrimp reaction. So at that time, I was essentially instructed, oh, you should go see an allergist and carry epinephrine. I didn't know when to use the epinephrine. I would have assumed that I should wait for a lot of symptoms. Well, we now know how important it is to use promptly. Nobody even mentioned cross-contact in restaurants. I only figured that out probably after a couple of reactions by the time I had the soy allergy. Shrimp was a little uh, easier to avoid. Soy is in everything. We didn't have labels until the mid-2000s, you know, food allergy labeling. In that circumstance, it was hard and it wasn't so much that you were worrying too much. You didn't even know what you should be worried about, (laughs) you know. So there was an education process and I feel like I learned right alongside as we were covering stories. And it's been so illuminating to learn about people's experiences with schools, with relatives, with bullying. And I'm always looking for ways to help people with this. I'm really driven to do that. I don't want to just do the, oh my gosh, we can't live well. I mean, we called it allergic living because I want it to still be living. I still want there to be the opportunity to travel and to do all the things. Got one child who's finished college and another one who's headed there. We want everything for our kids and for ourselves that everyone else does, but we need to take precautions. We need to do it safely. So I feel strongly on those things. Well, it's so beautiful that the attitude is so positive because especially I think nowadays the headlines are so dark and we doom scroll and we have a tendency to focus on the negative type news. So it's very refreshing that your attitude or not even refreshing. I just really appreciate your attitude of just that positivity and that we're living and we're successfully living. Well, thank you, Carolyn. I think it's really important. It's easy to go down that rabbit hole of worry. And one of the things that we write a lot about is food allergy quality of life and anxiety and dealing with that anxiety. And one of the pieces that I'm most proud of that we did in late 2019, and it holds up beautifully, is our food allergy anxiety guide, because we get into all those issues. I think it's one of the best things we've ever done. But you know, it's really important. This can be challenging because you want to be safe. But it's like you don't want to not step outside your door because you could be hit by a car. You know, you take the precautions, you want to make sure you live well. Absolutely. And 
On that note of you being really proud of that piece, is there any memorable moment or interview or story that you've experienced at Allergic Living that has just stuck with you? Oh, Caroline, there are so many. I have to say to be, you know, we were just talking about being positive. One of the things that's not so positive is we do, fortunately not often, but we do have some tragedies. When you have to talk to parents who've lost a child to anaphylaxis, that stays with you. I mean, you feel for them. You wish you could turn back time for them. You can't. But what I take away from those kinds of stories is how do we help people with them? Almost invariably, they turn out to be a story in which, for various reasons, epinephrine either wasn't given or it wasn't given early enough. It's actually valuable to be able to share that with people because otherwise they're going to just read that article in the news and it's going to be very scary. (gasps) Child lost their life to anaphylaxis. But are you going to know the circumstances? So as painful as it may be to have to ask people those things, we tend to because I think it's really important for them to know. And the other thing that is more positive out of those tragedies, we've met some people who are extraordinary, you know, people like Marilyn and Robert Debs when they lost their son Oakley, or Thomas and Dina Silvera, who've worked relentlessly to try to bring forward Elijah's Law and expand the kind of accommodations we have for kids in K through 12 to preschools because they unfortunately lost their son in a situation that way. You know, the Debs have been working after losing Oakley almost immediately to try to affect change and to bring awareness. Those are just two of the families we've met. But I think out of these tragedies, the incredible generosity of these people to worry about everybody else's kids in the same circumstance is really compelling to me. And I want to help them relate their stories. So we do. I think other things that have resonated, it's funny, you mentioned about teenagers. We've done some really good articles over the years on teens and that sense sometimes it can happen of feeling invincible, or maybe they didn't have a reaction since they were a little kid. So they have a tendency to think, oh, maybe this was just my mom being a little overcautious. And we find out some of the reasons for it and talk to some of the experts about communicating with teenagers, I don't need to tell you, but it's a tricky thing. Are you getting through? Are you making the impression that you need to make when you're up against powerful forces like peer pressure? So that continues to be an important area that we go back to. Some people run into problems and almost want to immediately give up on their relatives. I think it's important that we know there was a learning curve for us too, as people dealing with them with the food allergies. So you kind of have to be willing to walk them through the pieces of it. Now, some people may not hear it, but we've done some, I think, really strong stories about dealing with relatives. And again, taking a little bit more from the positive side about how can you help to communicate on that. So those are some of the things that I think have worked really well over time. Circling back to when you mentioned the Debs and Thomas and Dina, it's those stories that 
motivate me as an advocate. So they're really hard to read. I mean, I really have to gear myself up to read them. But once I read them, the fire is just ignited. And I think those stories are just so important to share because as an advocate and someone who tries to push harder for the community or even harder for your own family, it's those stories that I don't know how to even explain it, but they just touch your heart and they just keep us moving. So I really want to thank you for writing those stories because I know how difficult it is. If, if I can't even just pick it up and start reading the story. I can't even imagine what you go through as a journalist who understands the disease, who lives with the disease, but has to separate yourself and get that information and get that information out. So thank you so much for that kind of work. Oh, you're so welcome. But motivating for me is the parents and the parents need to get that communication out. And I agree with them. I see it sometimes come forward in ways I don't like sometimes even out of the mainstream media where it's dealt with as if it's clickbait. But it's not. These are people's lives. And I'm always mindful of not wanting to scare people in the community. But on the other hand, I want them to know know, sometimes it's both the epinephrine piece, for example, that I just mentioned, But also, what if they have a relative who's a doubter? They can use this story. Maybe you won't believe me, but maybe you'll see this written in Allergic Living and you'll take notice of that. So I think it can be helpful that way too. So I hope it is anyway. There are so many stories. In fact, I just want to say one thing. We're working on a new e-magazine right now. I finally just decided I want to do one about the compelling stories of our food allergy community, because I find them so striking. They're just incredible stories of everything from overcoming obstacles to resilience to learning to step outside comfort zone. I think you can tell I'm kind of a fan of the food allergy community, but I'm looking forward to this very much. And that'll be out in late May or June. So actually, on that note, what is on the digital horizon here for Allergic Living in 2021? Well, I just mentioned this one. That's the big focus right now. We're looking at another e-magazine for late in the year. I hope it'll be the travel one I've been working on, but I can't guarantee that. We'll have to see where we are with COVID. Also, we've got a number of more features coming up. We're investigating right now breastfeeding when your child has a food allergy. That's a confusing area for people. We've just done a currently on our site, fairly new uh, two-parter on oral food challenges, because sometimes your allergist might be saying when you retest, hey, you know, I think your child is outgrowing. Do you want to do an oral food challenge? But it can be a bit of a scary thing. So we have one that's with experts, Dr. Stukas and Dr. Sashur, talking about the process for milk and egg food challenges. And then we've got food allergy mom, Megan Lavin, talking about her several oral food allergy challenges with her boys, sort of an almost how-to. And she's done that on video for us as well as doing an article. So I think that kind of stuff is helpful. We've got so much on the go. I, I could chew up all your time, so I won't. But just to say that stay tuned. We're continuing to do more on emerging therapies, very big and important. I know more people are doing therapy, which is great. So continuing on what you've been doing over there, Since COVID-19 hit, you've really been a go-to resource. And so many of us turn to your FAQs and you have different articles. Can you update readers on actually what they can find at Allergic Living in terms of COVID and staying up to date? 
Well, yes, we have a food allergy, uh, an FAQ, as you called it, that's up. And we've left it as the main article on our site in the news area. Just if you go to our homepage at allergicliving.com, you'll see it. We continue to update that. Well, people have so many questions about the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, and especially because these were a new type of vaccine. There had been some stories initially about some anaphylaxis, which turns out the rate of anaphylaxis, according to the CDC and another study, is considerably lower than they originally thought it was. Got all the individual questions about, you know, what about dairy? What about soy? What about, you know, some of the the what about questions that people have, as well as how long to wait and, you know, all sorts of good sort of broken down questions that people have. So I think we've found that a real go-to piece for people. We've got a video up with uh, three leading allergists, two more out of food allergy and one from drug allergy because some people with drug allergies are also quite concerned. We're going to be doing another piece that uh, looks at just what the reactions are and the difference between reactions and side effects. And people are also asking questions now as more people get their first dose, well, what about the second? We also looked at the J&J vaccine and found it too was was considered safe for people with food allergies. If you've had anaphylaxis before, the CDC is recommending that you wait 30 minutes after getting your vaccine, etc. So we, we try to spell out those sort of rules for anybody who needs kind of like a quick place to go. So I, I hope it's been helpful. It seems to be we've had a lot of good feedback on it. So when we've been talking about how allergic living, you give life to stories from our food allergy community. But you've launched a microsite called This Allergic Life. And so I was hoping you could give our listeners just a little glimpse into what that's like. I love this microsite. It's new for us. We just launched it in 2020. It was sort of a soft launch, and now we're continuing to build it. But lots of the human stories, and people are welcome if they think they have an idea that we should know about at editor at allergicliving.com. You can write to us if you think you have a really compelling, you know, even a nice slice of life story. But there are various things. Some of them are, are humorous. Some of them are moving on after anaphylaxis. I mean, you wrote one for us that was terrific about dealing with a bully and how the school did that. That's still one of my favorite articles on there, Caroline. That's an outstanding article. What was the process called? Restorative Justice. So really interesting. So, but an area for people to tell their own stories. And we've got a bunch more that will be launching on that site soon. We've got a podcast there ourselves, lots of interesting things going on there. Can you kind of tell never a dull moment over here? (laughs) We're always busily doing something. You're always busy, which is good. Keeps you out of trouble. Yeah, I should tell people though they can find the microsite if they want to check it out. It's called This Allergic Life and it's so it's allergicliving.com slash thisallergiclife. Excellent. Thank you. And I will make sure that all these links are available at the end of the podcast and on our website so people know how to find all this fabulous information. Now before we wrap up, is there anything you would like listeners to know? Well, I guess one of the things I'd say is just how grateful I am to people for sharing their stories with us. And, you know, sometimes these are quite personal stories. 
And not all of them are easy. And sometimes people have to think about, am I going to get in trouble with my family or whatever, if I'm honest here, but they do and they share and they make a difference. And we've been at this for a long time now, you know, the mid 2000s. And in those days, people used to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for not making me feel alone. And I think People don't feel as alone anymore because there's a lot on social media or whatever. But what I do really uh, love in our community is the support that we get from them. They really do treat us as the go-to resource for news. And they come to us and they support us and they, they tell others about us out there. Groups like FACT do so much as well to uh, support the community. And I think we we're all pretty driven to do that. I feel very fortunate. I really want to help people in the food allergy community. And I feel really great about the fact that I get to do that every day that I get up. That is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gwen. You are an incredibly busy lady, and we appreciate every minute of your time. And I do hope to have you back on the podcast again. Well, absolute pleasure to talk to you, Caroline. Thank you. Before we wrap up, I just want to give another thank you to DBV Technologies for their kind and generous support. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.